So our guest is Westchester County Executive George Latimer. Thank you so much for sticking with us in this hour. Happy to be with you all. What we're talking about here is housing, fair housing in Westchester. I want to kind of maybe set the table with this place that I've come across called 333 Huguenot Street in New Rochelle. It is a 28-story residential tower. And here are some interesting facts about it. Um, 28 stories, a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment. There are multiple models, so it's not just one, right? And they range in price from $2,750 to $4,060 for a one-bedroom apartment. If you look at the Westchester County um, Fair Housing website... There are apartments in that building. There are 13 one-bedroom apartments that apparently have been set aside uh, where the rent is $1,767, but there's a waiting list. And it's not just this building. There's, no, they're, they're all, there are always waiting lists. There's a couple of dozen buildings that are in, in similar situation. Where I used to work for the state agency that manages those things. So, there's, there are these so my question for the county executive is, how do you square this off when, you know, these? I guess you're, you're clocking to 80% of AMI, which is something the uh, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, they set income limits at 80% of the, what is AMI, area median income. And for a four-person family, that's $110,000. For a single person, it's $78,000. I I don't know how how anybody is supposed to even, you know, if you earn too much. People who are living in public housing in New Rochelle are not getting those apartments. Is that wrong, George, my assessment of that, or is that true? Yeah, no, you're correct. let's, (coughs) let's Let's go back to certain basics. First of all, if you earn dollars a year, $70,000 a year, $75,000 a year, you are not on uh, welfare. You are not in public housing. But you do not have the resources necessary to buy something at market rate. Market rate is going to be targeted, just like you said, much higher than that. I think I threw the number out earlier, about $3,3500. Let me tell you, I, I don't know that I could afford a $3,500 a month apartment, and I make a six-figure salary as county executive. Um, but the, the reality of it is is that we have people in, in our world, people who are teachers, people who are nurses, people who are DPW employees. They're essential employees. We need to have people like this who, um, who work in our communities. They do, uh, they do critical work that's essential for the society to move forward. So where, we all agree with that. Where are they supposed to go? They cannot, they cannot afford uh, market-rate housing. So we then say, as a matter of public policy, we will take public money at some level as a county or municipality, and we will help write down the costs of certain apartments. It's not apartments themselves, but certain buildings Mm -hmm. to allow for units that are affordable so that people who have incomes that are much lower could afford it. Because what you have, I used the example one time. Let's say we all have to buy a used car. Sake of argument, right? And I don't know what they go for these days, but let's say you look at how much money you have and you say, I can buy a used car. I can afford $1,000 for a used car. You go through the listings. There's about 25 used cars at any one point in time that people are selling. You know, you go to their driveway, you take a look at the car, you determine if you want to buy it. You're looking at a car trying to assess if it's worth you $1,000. Somebody comes by and offers them $2,000. Guess who gets the car? (laughs) The other guy. 
And that's what you have in terms of the housing market, the demand in a market that's as hot as Westchester. If you go, you know, 150 miles up the road, you don't have the same market demand. You're not as close to New York City. You're, you don't have the same uh, business uh, job opportunities as you have in Westchester County. So people who are working in, in careers that do not pay them Wall Street money or even, for that matter, significant you know, paychecks but not at the highest magnitude aren't able to afford uh, what they can add. The guy who has the used car, he wants to sell it for as much as he can get for it. It's his car. It's his asset. What he's going to do with the money is what's up to him. So now you transpose that into housing. You have a developer that says we're going to develop, uh, you know, I don't know how many units in that building at 333. You're going to not. 280, um, approximately 280. Okay, 280 units. We, the government, go to him and say, listen, we need affordable housing. And he says, well, look, I can sell all 280 at market. There's enough demand for that. Uh, I'll set aside uh, 10%. We'll set aside 28 units. Well, you know, we say, well, that's not enough. We need, we need about 50 units. He says, forget it. I'm not doing it. I'm not, do- I'm not doing the development. And, then, and by the way, if you want me to set aside those units, you're going to have to give me some uh, compensation to be able to help offset the fact that I'm foregoing making my maximum profit. And, 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 the, sta- and the, state, the state has programs for that as well. Where, they do, where they, they get- do, but they don't have, guys, okay, they, the state does not have enough money allocated aside to no. accommodate the demand. Because as you just identified, all throughout uh, this county, and it's not just Yonkers, Mount Vernon, New Rochelle, it's Austin, it's, it's Sleepy Hollow, it's Port Chester, up and down the line, you have a need for affordable housing that's almost open-ended. I spent a long time ago, 45 years ago, when I was a young man, 23 years old, 24 years old, I had a job at Mount Vernon City Hall. I was the housing coordinator for the city of Mount Vernon, and I was responsible for Section 8 housing uh, subsidies. <clears throat> we got from the federal government 100 units of Section 8. Do you have any idea how many people were eligible and needed a Section 8 unit? I'm going to guess 4,000. Thousands. Right. Yeah. 2,000, 3,000. And, and in the case of those that we allocated for senior citizens, that was an open-ended situation. The senior citizen was never going to have enough money to get off the Section 8. It would be whenever they passed away that, that that certificate would be available to somebody else. With a family, you hope that, you know, they're starting out and they'll do better. And over time, they might have enough resources to go off the Section 8, opening up a certificate to somebody else. So the single biggest, the single biggest issue right now is economics, as, was, as, as Adina asked me, and the federal government is the is the key area to be able to provide that kind of resource. You don't have the kind of housing crunch everywhere that you have in New York. You have it in and around Boston. You have it in and around San Francisco. You have it around some of the major cities. And when you go to a federal government budget and you get a lot of folks who are congressmen and senators, and they represent Kansas and Nebraska and Indiana, and they don't have an affordable housing problem out there, they say, why should the taxes of my people go to help subsidize people who live in New York so they can have lower housing. If you can't find housing where you are, move to where there's cheaper housing. That's what they say. So it becomes a political battle in Washington to try to get the resources necessary. We have some resources from the state, the county I just mentioned. We put $90 million aside. That's not nothing for county government. $90 million, depending on how we use it in different projects, <coughs> may help us develop you know, maybe as much as 1,000 units of affordable housing spread out across the county. And then we have the other problem that we started out with, which is the local communities. There are communities that embrace wanting to do affordable housing. Greenberg, Portchester, White Plains, um, New Rochelle, 
uh, Mount Vernon, Yonkers, have done affordable housing projects. There are other communities that resist doing affordable housing at all. And well, you can, we can name names, Scarsdale, so I think Bronxville. Talking, I think we're talking about more than one thing. So is, is there a distinction between a affordable housing and workforce housing and i was going to bring up and and is is that a different thing from setting aside units in a luxury rental building well the the word affordable the word workforce uh have been used sort of interchangeably it it goes back to what you said a few minutes ago about the uh, the ami numbers there's public housing where the person's income which generally is coming from fixed sources whether it's ssi or which welfare is uh, they, they can't afford uh, more than 30 uh, percent. They're at 30 percent of the median to the area. That's public housing. There's been almost no public housing created from scratch in recent years. They've had some significantly renovated houses in New Rochelle, and White my, Plains, notably. And my, may I uh, ask what, why not? So, in other words, a lot of what you're talking about, what, a lot of what I hear in your your yep. your, your messaging is. It's dollars. It's it's getting enough dollars to flow to enough developers to build up a stock of housing at a, a below market level. But can't policymaking play a role in assuring that there's more places for people to live? Policymaking has a role to play, but it's a secondary role. As I said up front, what is the single dominant reality? The, the hand of the marketplace, right? The demand and supply. The supply in Westchester County of housing is limited. We're fairly developed as a county. We don't have wide swaths of open land like Orange County does and some other places. We have great demand because we're close to New York City. And so when we're dealing with trying to compete with developing housing that would be priced lower so people can afford it, we're competing against the marketplace, the private marketplace, which can take the same piece of land, build the same number of units, at a market rate and charge a lot more and make a lot more profit out of it. And so you're dealing in in a climate where dollars and cents drive the trade. There is the secondary issue of uh, that we just chatted about for a second, and that's where we talk about some communities are resistant to do it under any circumstances. And, and that comes down to how they view themselves. We, we are a community of single-family houses. We want to have a spacious acreage. We don't want to develop, um, you know, multi-unit housing in our community that's not who we are uh and in some cases there are legitimate issues of infrastructure you know you don't have the sewer connections and you don't have the uh, environmental thing and in some cases you know you you are far apart from where the mainstream of jobs are there are people who live in mount vernon who don't particularly say i've got to live in lewisboro we're talking with county executive george latimer and we're talking about housing affordable housing workforce housing um, ownership opportunities, we're, it's something we're going to talk about right after the break. And our guest is County Executive of Westchester County, George Latimer. Thank you again, sir, for coming on our program. And we're having, you guys. I think we're having a very interesting, meaningful, and spirited conversation about housing in Westchester. It's, it's awakening my liberal sensibilities. <laughs> Ardina, you're laughing. Why don't you ask her, why don't you make your point or ask a question? <laughs> I mean, actually, it is a laughing matter, but there's sort of, um, and George, correct me if I'm wrong, but there seems to be some unintended consequences in the whole affordable housing issue because, in essence, it's kind of pushing the poor people out, and you hear a lot of complaints 
about people not being able to actually afford affordable housing. And it's kind of bleeding over into a homeless situation and people having to leave either the state or the town that they're, towns that they're in. So uh, what, what, what happens? I mean, it's sort of this out-migration of people who don't make the big bucks and don't qualify for affordable housing. Well, Adina, you know, much of what you're talking about has a lot to do with what you've seen specifically in Yonkers, where uh, older housing units have been torn down and modern upscale units have been created. That's not universal. In some cases, there's, they've, they've had land that was uh, not used for housing that's been turned into upscale housing, carried down by the train station. Some of Port Chester, what they've done is build up. So that's, it's additional units. But what you're describing is a problem in the more mature cities. And, and the pushing out of the poor is a factor because no one is building public housing. No one is building low-income housing that a person who is making minimal money or is on some social you know, uh, network, uh, uh, social net program can afford to do. And that is an issue. And, of course, it, it, it royals people of color who see that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're being, uh, as you say, pushed out. Gentrified has been the word that I've heard used in the city where this mm. thing comes. You need, and, and, and now let's talk about what, what we do about this stuff, okay? What we've tried to do at the county level is we, we have put money aside, try to develop housing and to create infrastructure <coughs> to allow for more housing to be built that is affordable. <coughs> we need to com- a companion to that, not just, oh, well, they have to do it. We have to do it. But what we also need to have is we need to have the federal government reinvest again in the Section 8 program in financial assistance to those who are less wealthy. That bridges the gap, Ardina, so that a person can find an apartment. They're pushed out because they can't afford the new higher rent or they can't afford you know, a market rent of any sort. But if you, can, if you can get the rent down to a certain level, then the Section 8 gap is, uh, closes the gap and we need a certain amount of that more in order to satisfy the housing problems we have now. That is what uh, I, I, I gather that our Congressman Jamal Bowman is working toward and uh, some of the other folks. Uh, now, they have a hostile House of Representatives right now that, that probably won't go along with those kinds of things. But that is that is the thrust that has to happen there. Then the other, the other situation is also uh, the problem that we've had because of COVID where a lot of people stopped paying their rent. Sometimes they didn't have the money to pay it, or sometimes they just chose not to pay it. Hmm. And they now face eviction because of of unpaid rent that stacks up over a significant period of time. They got involved in a program called ERAP, an acronym, uh, to to pay for some of the back rent, up to a one-year back rent. But at some point in time, if you get evicted, there's no place for you to land. That is a problem that the state, not the feds, the state government has to address now. And, And, you know, we're happy looking at situations where we can convert places that have been used for commercial purposes and convert them into residential purposes. That's what you do when you don't have a lot of free land. You look at this office complex and you say, these offices are not in demand anymore. These companies, you know, the companies moved out, it was empty, and now we have to convert it into a residential population. That is where you need the local support in community A or community B to say, yes, we will agree to uh, through zoning and planning we'll agree to have uh, commercial properties converted into housing and we'll get more housing units out of that those are the strategies additional state and federal money county's got to keep up its share i think we're doing a lot we could do more but we could, we've been doing a lot in this area uh if you remember prior to my administration the prior administration did not 
believe in affordable housing and only did what they did because they were under federal lawsuit. Uh, but you need a state and a county and a, and a, um, a federal commitment. And the municipalities have to have a mindset that says, okay, we're going to do that. Some, some communities have that, some do not. And that's, that is also part of the rub. Okay, if I can just do a quick follow-up. George, where, yeah. where, where, I'll be brief, I promise. Where does the responsibility shift, where does the burden of responsibility shift from the local municipalities to the state or to the feds? Because at some point, there's only so much a local government can do, and then a bigger entity has to take over. So where, so where is the line when you say, okay, look, what we can't is, handle any more stuff for the state? Ardena, all of us have to do that piece, which is ours to do. Um, some of the some of the infrastructure piece that you need in order to develop housing is county responsibility. We have responsibility, for example, for the sewers. So the county has to belly up to the bar, <coughs> spend the money necessary to grow the capacity for sewerage, so that you could put a building in there that's going to have fifty five units and fifty five bathrooms. Uh, part of it is the state, part of it's the feds, and what we need is a coordinated effort between all those governments. We have, as a county government, worked with local governments to try to coordinate some of that effort. And and now you see with the state, you know, what the local plan is going to be, we'll see what it looks like in its final form. But it's no one level, it's all of the levels working together, and that's hard to get. You try to get, you know, if, you, if you're from a big family, you try to get four brothers and sisters to work together for a goal, and that's the hard. You look at the county budget. How much money do we set aside for housing? You hold us accountable. We do a budget. We say this is what we put aside in capital. This is what we put aside in terms of infrastructure costs. You look, you see it. You say, George, okay, have you done your job? You can do more. You did a lot more than you did before. Fine. Then you move on to look at the state. The state budget is at hand right now. You look at what they're doing. You hold us accountable. You don't say nobody's accountable when everybody's accountable. It's just, I'll give you an analogy. It's like a pop fly to short left field. I'm the left fielder. I know how far in I can come to see the ball. If it's a little out of my reach, I run up to a point that it's a shortstop, the second baseman, or the center field to handle it. I can't just stand in left field by myself and say, well, that's not my ball. You take care of it. You run to the point, and then you do what you have to do. That is what, if citizens care about housing, that is what they do. They have to, they have to hold the municipality accountable, hold the county accountable the state and the federal government in different ways, but it does require you to understand how the system works. And that's the biggest problem of all, because most people don't understand what's the relative responsibilities of these governments. You go to the polls, you vote for whoever the hell you vote for. Uh, maybe I heard George Latimer, I like him, or George Latimer's a Democrat, I hate him. You know, whatever, whatever the reasons are. But you don't really know what I've done or not done. And it's too much work. And, and, and if people don't understand that you have to figure out what do each of us stand for, what have we actually done, that's the basis to vote because then that's the basis for you to get the policies that okay, you want. Okay, George, I don't, this is related to that. When we brought up, when Charlie brought up the New Rochelle example, and I've seen uh, buildings go up in White Plains where there was a affordable housing component, but there seems to be something built into that structure that... They can buy their way out of putting affordable apartments in those buildings if they commit to building to building a putting up a new building that's just affordable housing. And how often do those things end up falling through after they've opened their big, expensive buildings? Well, this is one of the issues in New Rochelle. I know we're going to run out of time now. Uh, they did that with RXR, as I understand it, and they have a building, 219 units of all affordable housing, which is being built. And that 
in, in theory, is the number of affordable units they would have had in individual buildings right. had they put that percentage of it in. I can I can tell you that, as I said earlier, each community does something different. White Plains has a fund that a developer can contribute into exactly. in lieu of providing the units. Not, not every community doesn't do that, but that's what White Plains Okay, does. and is what, that concentrated affordable going- housing building in New Rochelle, or is it in another community? Um, White Plains, you mean? No, the, yeah. the example. He was, giving a, he was giving a White Plains oh, example. A White Plains yeah, example. yeah okay. I gave a White Plains example about a fund that's different from the New Rochelle example, mm-hmm. which is build a separate building. But, do, uh, these building, do, but these, do these buildings ever go up, or are they all in the planning stages, and no, they just no, kite it along? The one in New Rochelle is on Garden Street. It's the one, as you go from North Avenue toward getting on the northbound throughway, it's on your right-hand side. That's the building that uh, that they're talking about. That building is, I don't know exactly how close to completion it is, but you can see it. it's however many stories high it is. And that's an affordable housing building. I think it's 219 units. Uh, you know, we can double-check it. We can talk offline. Someone so give me a call. We'll, we'll having, do the homework on it. So instead so of having it's, a poor not, door, you've got an entire poor building. It's, I, don't, right. it's, I don't get this. Well, no, it's not, no, hold on, hold on. Now, you see, I don't want to stigmatize people who... No, I don't it. want you to, and, you know... Is this so, so not, right. the, the The question, the, the question to look at is, what are the amenities like in that building? Are they modern? Is it a good elevator system, or is it half-rate? Half and the expectation would be is that the building has been constructed with standards that are that are somewhat similar to what was done. There may be luxuries in a luxury building that you don't have in a, in a standard building, but... But you want to make sure modern modern kitchen, modern bathroom, proper elevator, square um, footage, you know, square footage, uh, uh, laundry room in the building, you know, those kinds of things that that are practically minded for what people want to do. Let me give you one more example. I know we got to go just about at the end. We have a piece of land that happens to be in White Plains now as we're speaking. We have a piece of land that the county owns uh, in downtown White Plains, and we have agreed to build 140 units of affordable housing on that. If I show you the piece of land and how tricky it's going to be to do this, and we have parking issues to deal with, it's right next to our Board of Elections office building, and that building needs to be renovated. This gives it's, on, it's, on Coropus? It it's on Coropus? It's what? I'm sorry? It's on Coropus? It's, it's on the corner of Coropus and Court. Okay. Right now, it's a parking lot for the uh, Board of Elections offices, but that, that parcel of land has been designed. We have a design to build 140 units going up. I don't know how many stories it's going to be. I forget. 140 units of affordable housing in it. And um, so that that is an example. Now, there we have county-owned land. We're the landlord, so we don't have to have an outside, you know, developer for profit. We're going to have to cut you George, we're going to have to cut you off. This has been one of the quickest hours that we've had on our air. Ardina, who do we have next week? Next week we have NYPD... Former detective Ed Conlon, who wrote the famous police series book called Blue Blood, and he's going to be on live to tell us about policing in the wake of the politics of the day. All right, everybody, you have a great week. George, thanks for coming on. I hope you can deal with that cough and get rid of it soon. And uh, everybody, enjoy this weather today.